message today of studying righteousness poured out upon earth. Uh, coming from the 45th chapter of Isaiah, the 45th chapter of Isaiah, where we read uh, about, God's talking about Cyrus here. But we know everything that's written in the Old Testament was for our admonition whom the end of the earth has come upon and these times have come upon us. And we are to use this to prosper us and to, for us to be able to walk in the Lord and walk as he had given us and led by his spirit. Even those that are not born again from the from around us, uh, we know what to do. As he said in the book of Micah, I think the sixth chapter and the eighth verse, what is required of us. Uh, I've been preaching on Cyrus, and I think this is the last few weeks of all I've talked about with Cyrus, and people talk about whether Cyrus was saved or whether he was converted. But I'm not looking at that as the issue. What I was looking at is the issue that he was called God's anointed. God called him his anointed, uh, his shepherd. On the way here, I started to think about Cornelius, the man that Peter was sent to his house that gave great alms and uh, of the centurion that Jesus had came across that said he, that he said that he hadn't seen such great a faith in all of Israel. And all of the way from the times of Enoch, we see where people walk with God. And all in between that time, I'm thinking about the people that had good or good intentions. And we know our righteousness is filthy rags and there's none good but God. But then there's a, a segment of people, of people that walk in such a way as we see Cyrus here. God called him his anointed so. We've seen that God's providential hand had been in his life, in his whole life, and look back at the way that he was brought. And we look back in the way as we come into the church, those of us that are, as they said, quickening or being made alive, or those of us that God's working upon us, and we don't realize that he's drawing us to himself. He's drawing us to him, that we're being reconciled to God and that he was there with us all of the time, performing and bringing us a way in which we knew not, just as he did Cyrus. And uh, I call that God's providential care. In other words, it's divine guidance. I think those that are not born again or those that are not children of God or that are not under his providential care, they're still under the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign in their life, and God still remains sovereign, not that God's controlling the actions and the things going on in their lives. So that we see that uh, reading the 8th verse of chapter 45, it says, Let fall, let fall in showers, you heavens, from above. And let the sky rain down righteousness. In other words, the pure spiritual heaven-born possibilities that have their foundations in holy being of God. Let the earth again, let the earth open and let them keep, uh, let them, 
and the skies and the earth sprout forth and let righteousness germinate and spring up as plants do together. I, the Lord, have created it. It was pretty hard, a difficult reading that, that was in the Amplified. I was trying to read it off of my phone there. <clears throat> and the King James didn't deliver what I wanted it to do in that. And that, that was talking about even the inanimate objects. In other words, we read in the book of Romans what all of creation had been waiting for the manifestations of the Son of God because all of creation had been subject unto futility and to vanity. But with the restoration of the sons of God, it comes to where God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. So when he says rain down in the earth, receive it, not only the beings, as Jesus said, that the rocks would cry out and praise him, the earth wants to bring forth and be restored unto what they used to be before the fall, because Remember the fall, what it brought was a curse upon the earth. He says, curse is the ground for your sake. So if the ground was cursed, we have to see a reversal of the curse happened to have a new heaven and a new earth for the establishment of the kingdom of God because there's only blessings in there and the purity that's involved with that. Uh, the The verses that I have selected out of that 45th chapter deal with the righteousness of God and him raining down his righteousness. Not something that we've acquired to ask for, but this is God doing it. It's part of his actions and the work he's doing, just like pouring out his spirit upon the earth. He's also pouring out righteousness upon the earth. Those that has the ability of that he had placed in to absorb that righteousness, to walk in that righteousness, a part of what he's making and creating. The 13th verse says, I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Here and again here, we are thinking that he's talking about Cyrus. But we know that Cyrus wasn't involved in the rebuilding of the cities in Jerusalem and in Judah. The city of Jerusalem and other surrounding cities, nor anything of that sort. Cyrus sent them back to lay the foundations of the temple. That was his proclamation. And I showed you where in Nehemiah and Ezra that some of that work hadn't been done where he had commanded the people to go back and lay that foundation and begin that building. God's people are complacent and they stopped building. And during the time of Haggai, God prophesied that the people should get back to work in building his house, that they had left off building God's house and were dwelling and living in their own seal houses in their mansions and putting the money on themselves. So, just as that word of God, none of the word of God is extraneous. It's not just in there. We apply, uh, that's the way we should live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We should take that scripture and appropriate it to ourselves and see that God had raised us up for the purposes as he sent us out into all of the world preaching the gospel that he had raised us up as he raised Cyrus up, as he raised Jesus Christ up, he had raised us up. And 
He's directing our ways at that which we are building because we know that, that his kingdom is, come, is coming and we're involved in that process. And we also, by preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God, we help release others from bondage, the bondage of the, of the world of Babylon, because the anointing breaks the yoke, and, it, and as we witness, we do the work of evangelists, it loosens the bonds of the whole of the world, has on people. That's what the gospel do. It brings salvation. It brings freedom. Isaiah 45th chapter in the 19th verse says, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. <clears throat> so what God is doing, not only did he speak through Isaiah, we should be mouthpieces for the Lord also. We should speak those things that become sound doctrine. We should, his voice, if Christ dwelleth in us, we should be doing the work of God. That, that's what we're doing, presenting our body as a living sacrifice. Everywhere we go and everything we do is to the glory of God. And that's what we live by, every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, establishing his righteousness in the earth. The 23rd verse through the 25th verse says, I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be made ashamed. Anyone that stands up against this gospel or the proclamation of the word of God, of uh, that righteousness, the, his voice is going out in the whole yes. earth. Yes. We are to carry that voice. That, that, you remember I was telling you yesterday, we have something to do and he had purposed us in life, not just to sit in silence, not just to remain home or, or in a cocoon into ourselves or to be in some kind of monastery. He said he hadn't said it in secrets. So we're to tell all of the world. I was telling you about my uh, relative of mine's auntie, and I told you, I, they are proud of their religion. I'm proud of my religion and the God I serve, and I'm a witness of him, and I proclamate, I make a proclamation of his word of what he's given to us. And those that arise up against that word, I think they'd be confounded and ashamed and every knee shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, that Jesus is Lord. Uh, the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed to the believer. It's like he imputed righteousness unto Abraham. He, it is imputed to the believer when he accepts Christ as his Savior. Without accepting Christ and without Jesus, we don't get this righteousness imputed unto us. That's one thing other religions don't have. They don't have a savior in which brings them, uh, gives them the gift of righteousness. And God says he was going to rain down that righteousness upon the earth, just like he rained it down upon 
Cyrus, not saying that Cyrus, not entering into that argument whether he was saved or not, because God doesn't transgress his word, but God shows us or gives us types and shadows. If Cyrus was to convert at that time, it didn't show a proselytization of Gentiles at that time being invited in. That came during the times of the apostles. But we see where God's giving us insight that he do work through the Gentile or through pagans or heathens. And so it wasn't for Cyrus to convert to Christ, to the to the to Judaism or to the to the religion of the Jews, because even the Jews didn't keep their own law. That's why he reverted to having pagans do it, because the Jews caused their own temple to be destroyed or whatever. They killed their own Messiah. Um, righteousness is imputed to us. First Corinthians 30 uh, verse says, but it is from him that you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, revealing the plan of salvation and righteousness. In other words, making us acceptable to God and sanctification. That is making us holy and setting us apart for God and redemption. That is providing a ransom for the penalty of sin. All that came through Jesus Christ. That's why I said Cyrus was a type of Jesus Christ that set the captives free. And through his proclamation the, to, for them to go back and build the temple of God, it set them free from bondage and it released them that anyone that wanted to go back and build could do so. He says, to whosoever will. And I tell you, all of them didn't go out of some 60 million or 6 million Jews, only 36 million Jews, only 30,000 went back to Bill. And it's just this, as is in this day and time, as gospel is being preached and people saying Christianity, but only a small percent of people are really believers or really follow the true gospel. And the but majority of Christians are just like the majority of the Jewish people in that day that remained in Babylon and didn't go back to captivity. The majority of Christians are in the world. They hadn't came out of Babylon. They hadn't came out of the world. They're still in the world. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the 20 through the 20 verse, verse says, So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his special appeal through us. That's why I said as an ambassador, we go forth and say what our government, that is the government of God, proclaims for us to do. And if we are ambassadors of Christ, we should take his message to the world. We, as Christ's representatives, plead you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be to judicially, in other words, it was a judgmental proclamation, but we have to, uh, let me, how can I say this? We have to walk in this, or we have to apprehend this. Uh, this has to come our way by grace, through faith, the hearing of the word of God. So once a judicial ruling is made, it still has to be adjudicated. In other words, a court has to carry that out or whatever. Remember Jesus had told his disciples, he says, Behold, I said in the promise 
of my Father upon you. And he breathed upon them and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit. But that was a judicial declaration, but he had told them to go back and tarry in Galilee until you be endued with power from on high. In other words, go back and wait for this sentence to be carried out that I had proclamated that would happen, that he was going to have to be crucified. He was going to have to be raised from the grave. But after this, on the 50th day, on the day of Pentecost, he did send that spirit back unto them. This was prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament when Joel said that your sons and daughters would prophesy and he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Here he says he's going to pour out righteousness upon all flesh. But we have to bring this into our being through faith. In other words, we have to believe God's word as to what it said. And that word is available to whosoever will. So with Cornelius and the centurion, they believed that they had faith. So it's no Jew or Gentile in Jesus Christ. It's those that believe and have faith and trust in him that are the sons of Abraham. It's a spiritual implication. It's through faith. Uh, We are Christ's ambassadors. Okay, that's the living version. I I won't read both versions to it. But what he says, raining down righteousness, he would rain down righteousness upon the earth. He would pour it out on the earth. As Christ pours out righteousness upon the earth, it's for us to develop righteous character. Righteous character. Now, I'm not saying that Cyrus had developed a righteous character or whatever, but I tell you that he was a humanitarian in some of the ways he acted and did. And I read of him in secular history that he wasn't like other leaders were. So we are to look at the character of individuals or whatever because each individual is in a battle, whether we know it or not. God says with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. So all of this is available to he died for all men. In other words, this is open to whoever would reach out and grab or grasp this or whoever God draws to it. And so, just like in the book of Genesis, we see where God didn't distinguish between Cain's offering. A lot of people blaming on the offering as to what they offered. And we know offerings or any of that doesn't bring us to God. But listen at this in Genesis 4 and 7. Cain's countenance was dropped and he was wrought. He was feeling rejected because God refused his offering. God says, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest well, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. And that's the amplified version. It reads just about exactly the same as the King James. The living version read, It can be bright joy with you if you will do what you should. 
But if you refuse to obey, watch out. Sin is waiting to attack you, longing to destroy you, but you can conquer it. So we see both children had opportunity, but it was Cain who sin was lurching. And all of us has to overcome sin and have to overcome the things in the world. We have to overcome self. We have to overcome our flesh. That's why Jesus Christ speaks so many times in the book of Revelation about he that overcometh. Because it's about denying ourselves and dying to selves to accept Christ. So there were situations and things in life that Cain was going to have to fight off to become, uh, to get in good favor with God if he was going to be a child of God, blessed by God. But rejecting that, not willing to work toward it, uh, and not taking God at his word and being obedient to God, he rose up up and slew his brother. But the prophecy held that sin was lying at the door. We can't let sin master us, and if we practice sin, if we do sin, if we be angry without a cause, and if we... Smaller sin leads to larger sin. You're bathing yourself in sin. So that's why I say you have to watch the shows you watch. Watch all of the actions and the words that come out of your mouth. Because if you practice sin or rehearse sin, it becomes part of your life. And this became part of Cain's life instead of him raising up, fighting against these opposing circumstances. Now, do we say God's providence cause uh, Abel or Enoch to be able to come closer to God and that it wasn't God's providence that was guiding Cain, but it was God's sovereignty that knew this would happen and didn't stop it from happening? Of course, because God is sovereign. And God do have choices and God do choose. In all its forms, sin is mankind's marked enemy. It's has marked mankind as as his enemy. And to be in the flesh, to be carnal minded, is enmity against God because God had put that enmity between that which is flesh and that which is carnal and that which is spiritual. That's what separated Adam because God says, From dust you came, to dust you shall return. And so the carnal or the fleshly minded man cannot please God, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. <clears throat> Sin must be defeated, be defeated to God's satisfaction for Him to accept us. If not, our relationship with Him will not continue throughout eternity. We have to be purged of every sin, every blemish, every spot. We have to lay aside the weight and sins that's besetting us. If we're to be in the kingdom and God says, no hatred, no liars, no homemongers, those people that has the works of the flesh, no idolaters, uh, any of this shall enter into the kingdom of God, uh, enter into the kingdom. That may mean that you have to battle with those things in this life to purge them out of your life and he gives you the Holy Spirit to help you overcome all of those obstacles and to guide you and lead you in all truth. 
but it's not a cakewalk as some Christians tell you. Those are the Christians that say that are still full of a lot of sin and th- their eyes have been blinded, the layer of the sins, because this is a struggle from day to day. That's why Paul said he didn't know which was better to depart and be with Christ or to help to stay here and labor with them because it's a battle every day. It's consistently a battle. Because sin is ever pre- is an ever-present reality of life, it is essential that we have sufficient knowledge to recognize it before its fiery dots strike us down. We have to put on the whole armor of God, take the shield of faith, which quenches the fiery dots of the adversary. Mm. So we have to read God's word. We have to see the obstacles of the things before they appear. We have to be doing good works. We have to be walking a practice in righteousness. And if he's pouring down righteousness, if we clothe ourselves with that righteousness, because if it's coming from heaven, if it's coming from above, it's the righteousness of Christ Jesus That's what we're to put on. We're to be clothed in that. This requires consistent, thoughtful study of God's word and an effort to build awareness of its presence, enabling us to beat it to the punch. We have to beat sin to the punch. We're in a fight. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So we can't be lacks of mind. We, We have to be aware that there's an adversary that lurks out there 24-7 that's waiting to pounce upon you. Sin is waiting to pounce upon you. Overcoming sin is a formidable task, but it's not a hopeless task. Jesus Christ overcame to show us that we could overcome. Cyrus was our type of Jesus Christ to show that we had been released. We have been released from bondage. He has redeemed us and set us free. And we were to get that mindset. That same mind that's in Christ Jesus has to be in us by the renewing of our mind. So we're not going to get that mind by being on the computers playing games all day. We're not going to get that mind by watching football and basketball and sports all day. We're not going to get that mindset by dwelling on the things of the world or, or socializing with our friends and people. Sometimes we may have to just get alone and study. We have to pray to God. We have to study God's word. It's a, a, a amazing how that if you draw to God, draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. But how much is in the world to separate you from God and the things of God to keep you off the beaten path? One reason why it is not hopeless is when we rightly thought through, it's, it's quite encouraging from Jesus. Jesus teaches in Luke 28, verse it is, Luke uh, 12, chapter the 48, verse, it says, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So the more we know, the more we know of God's word, the more we have of God's knowledge of the things that brings us closer to God, that makes us uh, liable or culpable of not doing those things. That's why 
I'm not saying it's not it's good to go to church because then we'll be violating God's word. He says, forsake not the assembling together of ourselves. Some people think ignorance is ignorance is blitz, but he tells us that's why his people are destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. So we're to know as much about God as we can, but when we do find out, when we do have that knowledge, we will be held responsible for that we do know. You want that. So the more you know, the more you're here responsible for. Yep. But you can't stay stagnant in the Lord because then you're not growing in the Lord. You're not continually being filled with the Spirit of God. We're admonished to be alert because our enemy is at the door. Send life at the door and its desire is unto you. It's to control you. It's to take over in our lives. We are also encouraged to understand that we are all judged individually. So we're not in competition with one another, but we all judge individually. God judges everyone against the same standard, and that standard is here. It's word. Individually, yet he judges individually according to natural talents, gifts, Dedication, faithfulness, discipline, time sacrificed, and energies exerted to overcome what God knows we are capable of. In other words, there's different places for different people in life. There are some people with less talents or less gifts or less understanding uh, without ability to become more stronger in the faith. In other words, there's a place in the body of Christ for all of us. But I don't think that that place will have us sitting on our leaves, but it'll have contentment with, with such that God give us. So there are some that are teachers. They have to study much more than those that are on a job working every day or whatever, and their job maybe requires less of them but that teacher, it requires more of him to be a teacher. But if he's an athlete or something, he may have to practice playing basketball or football or whatever he has to do. But he have to practice with, within his profession to do what he he's gifted in for God. It wouldn't be for the teacher to practice basketball. Or it wouldn't be for the person that God had made a teacher or whatever. But this housewife, she had he had made her a you know, to be a housewife. So her expertise or her practice should be in homekeeping. Her practice should be in cooking. She should be able to cook much better than her husband. Uh, Let me not make it stereotypical, but if the other partner or whatever, the spouse is not a cook or whatever, God had gave them talents or gifted them for cooking or for taking care of the children or the home or whatever, we're not all gifted with the same gift but we're judged by what God had given each man to do. So nobody can slack in the profession, a place where God had put them to do. You know, and you'll see this as people get older, time winds down, they're still trying to do until that day of their death, they're still trying to do what God had gifted them to do. That's how you find out what God had gifted you to do because You'll continue to do it because 
is part of what sustains you in life. So Cornelius, they, they talked about Cornelius being a good man and he offered up alms and he had did a lot for the synagogues and all that because that was in him to do and he was practicing that goodness. You remember I told you, we know what we should do to love mercy, to do good, and to live humbly with your God. So that faith of the Gentiles is, as I read yesterday, is counted to him as as his circumcision more than the person that knows to do good, the person that's a Christian and not living the way he should be. He's going to be beaten with many a stripes, and he's, he's not a Christian at all. He has a position of a Christian. But as Jesus told the Pharisees of, his day, of their day, they may have been physical descendants of Abraham, but they were actually of their father, the devil. Yes. So we stand alone as if we're not, not measured against any other person. But through the ultimate standard is holiness. The ultimate st- standard is the holy, righteous character of the father and of the son. We are neither measured against their performance nor any other human person's performance. Now, when I say that, that holiness that Jesus Christ had was without measure. Well, we couldn't do the things that Jesus Christ did. We couldn't be in the place of a Paul or whatever of what he had gifted the the apostles with because the apostles' office carried with it the gift of an apostle. But whatever place you are in the body of Christ, God had gifted you to be able to stand in that place. So you are to make sure of that calling, make sure of your hope and your vocation. You can't just say, well, God given me this. Well, if God given it to you, it's going to cause you to still strive at it. You will have to strive at it. And you'll have some feelings from God in it that it is God doing that, uh, that God's leading you in that, you'll start hearing God or feeling God. is as I was saying about Cyrus. People talk about Cyrus. Okay, if Daniel did show Cyrus the prophecy from Isaiah that his, he had been called by name, that he was going to do this years before he did it. Well, then Cyrus, by going forth doing these things, he got stronger in it by making this, he had to make that proclamation. He couldn't have went against that proclamation, could he? He went, He did that proclamation. He says God had given him all of the kingdoms, and he had told him to do these things. Yeah. So by doing these things, God gave him the hidden riches, and God's righteousness was in him to that anointing. Anointing is one authorized to a, to a given a job or rule appointed to do, just like Jesus Christ is God's anointed Messiah. Anointed is is Messiah. So Cyrus was in this position. So if God had made you a housewife or a parent or whatever, he had given you that ability, but parenting doesn't come easy. You have to maybe kind of, there's a learning curve to being a parent and you have to put a lot, you know, my daughter was saying that the other day, well, that I didn't know it was this much involved in being a parent. And some of the things that I was fighting against y'all is cheering, not I see. So, but 
as a parent, I can't let that cause my head to be, I have a big head or rejoice or, or get, I have to look. Now I'm not just a parent, I'm a grandparent also, but as a parent to my kids, I can't look back and say, ha ha, I told you and point them to what they're feel, failing with their children or the struggle that they're in. I have a double struggle. I have to keep respect as a parent with my grown children and with my grandchildren because grandparenting is a whole nother area also. So I have to pray to God to teach me to be a good parent and grandparent, but a parent of adult children because the being a parent of adult children, you still have to learn how to do that. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You're understanding. So every level we get is not a level that we could sit back on our leaves and, and saying we've made it there. No, it's still you have to pray and depend upon God to teach you and show you that way and that because his righteousness has a performance and a performance means that there's death to self daily. It's a righteousness of Christ that we have to keep putting him on every day because if not, pride enters in. That's where Satan became. He became proud and lifted up. And he's, that's where the righteousness of the Pharisees come in. You're righteous within yourself because you're looking back at others and they are asking, and it, they, it makes you feel good. You, you feel like a layer of the sin. That's because now you're looking at your own righteousness. Yeah. But it was Christ's righteousness, you glorying in Christ's righteousness as if it was your own righteousness. It's nothing you had done. So when your children or somebody tell you this, well, don't feel, hey, yeah, yeah, I've done it. No, I couldn't have done it without Christ. It was God that done it through me. He was doing it all the time. It wasn't me, so I can't take the credit for it. Yeah. A lot of people take credit for things that credit ain't due. They think, well, I did that just like it would be like, like a person taking credit for cooking or running football. Well, what do you have glory to glory in? Didn't God give you that gift? You can't even glory in your beauty or anything. Didn't he make you beautiful? Didn't he give you long hair? Did he give you whatever you have? You have nothing to glory in. God receives all the glory. Though not measured against the performance of the Father and Son, we are nonetheless urged to strive to be at one with them. They are in complete and total agreement with each other. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and we're to be at one with them. It's all about the unity of the two. It is to this oneness that God wants to bring us, not merely intellectually, but also in attitude and conduct. That, that's where the major battle lies. It's not in intellectually of what we know, but in the attitude of it, in the conduct of it. That's where we're failing at a lot of times. But he wants that same mind to be in Christ Jesus, whereas that attitude where when a man thinking he's something, that's when he's nothing, you need to keep yourself humble. But your conduct makes you speak different ways. It makes you speak in a humble way. See, some people have that conduct is reproachable conduct. 
they do not sin, and imitating this sinfulness, we become our great challenge in life. Righteousness and sin are serious responsibilities. In the end, there is no dodging the burden. Every human being has had less than perfect family, church, neighborhood, school, work, associations have been given some measure of guidance through them. Nothing's been perfect for us nowhere in life. So don't say one person had it better or this person. No, you've had guidance, but you may have failed in listening to that God that's through that. But he gives us the spirit to guide us and lead us in all truth to where if we're obedient to that spirit, then we could make it through on a prosperous journey. As I was, I preached yesterday that he sent the angel with them along the path. And he says, obey him. He, he'll punish you for your transgressions. So we're not perfect, but by reading God's standards and what God's requiring, we we struggle with who we are, what we are. I used to tell Brother Dent that a lot of times because he, he would say something. He said, well, that's just the way I talk or whatever. I say then, that's your greatest enemy within yourself is the way you talk. You can't say it. It's a tone or the expression. All of those has meaning. So that's what God had given you to overcome in itself. It's part of who you are. That's why I say you have to die. You can't get to heaven with that old person. So you can't accept yourself. You have to start looking at yourself in the mirror and say, well, that's what I used to be. And I'm putting that to death. That's what he was telling Cain. Why are you destroyed? That part of you has to die. Those desires and things has to desire has to die. See, because he had it in his mind already, probably, I don't know how long, the reason he couldn't act right with his brother. And you can't hate your brother and love God. You can't even, he tells you, if you're offering up a gift and you have something against your brother, go get right with your brother, then come offering your gift. Because you can't give God an offering with hatred in your heart. He's not going to accept that. With bitterness in your heart. It's the character of the individual. I was watching a thing Obama was on the other day talking about Hershey Walker and his character and what he's doing. And people uh, saying, well, they're voting for Hershey Walker. He's a football player. Okay, but that doesn't mean he's a politician. He says, he was talking about, well, this guy is a great running back or whatever, but we're going to get him to fly this plane for us. We're going to get him to operate on us. No, you're looking at it for the wrong reason. And then what about the individual's character? How many people, and I told you that earlier, of his character. Back years, back the Republican Party during the time of, Bill Clinton's administration or whatever, they were saying character matters. But not character doesn't matter to them. Character doesn't matter to the GOP anymore. They could be at the bottom of the gutter, whereas with God, character is everything. Character matters in what we're teaching our children, what we're teaching people. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, six to the seventh verse says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be written on your heart and mind. Yesterday, you was talking about the circumcision with Cyrus circumcised on the heart. 
Is this written in your hearts and mind? Have God written it? Are you writing it in your children's hearts and mind? He said, you shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truth. Not our truth, with God's truth. I, I, if I, I'm watching a movie or something. Well, what did upset me now? It's adultery here. It's fornication here. Well, that can't be the principal character throughout because this is the wrong mindset. You, we can't learn this. And that's why with horror pictures and different things, like I say, well, how can you root for that character? How can you be like this? And that's why it had strong characters in the day. You remember Perry Mason or something? He would always be rooting for what's right. Now, he might have been in real life different. But the character he pursued was always for righteousness and always for what was right. That's what matters. Are we pursuing? We're flawed vessels. And I I tell people, Cyrus was just like you then. You're talking about Cyrus. Are you saved? We're all flawed vessels. We all fall short of God. But are you pursuing righteousness? Are the things around you, are you trying to hold people? Remember I told you that plumb line? We have to be held to that plumb line? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you ready to cave in to somebody that have the moral standards of an alley cat? So, Obama was talking on this and a guy was in a, a heckler came along and was saying something in the crowd and Obama said, say now, that's what I'm talking about right now. That's exactly what we're talking about. Civil discourse, the people was laughing and clapping on, but this, this guy was interrupting him, a heckler. He says, see, I'm talking now. He says, that's what we're lacking is civility. I'm talking, and later on, if you get a chance, to, somebody can let you talk, you talk. But you can't disrupt me. You can't violently interrupt m- my program or what I'm saying with getting something out that you want to say. And the people start cheering and going on because we've lost all s- civility, and we see it in political lives and on religiously on television and thing. Now, we are uncivil people. We are violent people. And that's what they say what happens, the fall of a society, is when we have political and religious violence advocated. Character does matter. He says, teaching these to your children. And shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you, when you lie down and when you get up. That's why he chose Abraham because he says he knew Abraham was going to teach his children to do right. I don't lie to my children, and I always tell my children about these things, and I'm very hard and astute on these things. Right is right. Don't lie. Don't lie to them. Don't uh, let them get off with lying and any other kind of conduct because then you don't have God on your side to where you they can't stand up and say, well, honor your parents. That's when you don't submit unto your parents when they go against the foundations and precepts of God. That's when friendship's in. One of the failings of modern education is that fails to teach children to look for and predict cause and effect relationship. My granddaughter came home, and each day through the week, I've had to ask her, were there fights at your school today? 
Have there been fights because the children are fighting each day at school and then the parents come there and fight with the other parents? It's horrible, very horrible. And I asked them to keep their distance and not be around these type people and I pray for them every day because our schools are a battle zone. How many teenagers are gunning teenagers down? That's the largest rate of violence with gun violence now is with teenagers. This receives short shrill in our schools because <coughs> excuse me, values and moral judgments have been eliminated from the curriculum and from classroom discussions. And we see now where all of this is politically and religiously motivated. Uh, while carnal human beings walk in this earth, this is a pipe dream that this is going to change uh, uh, that it's not going to get worse. And Jesus Christ told us all these things was going to get worse in that perilous time shall come. Even under the government of Jesus Christ in the millennium, there will still be sin and the evils of, evil of causes, though they will be far less than happened today. Because even though Satan would be bound and he cast down the Antichrist, men and women are still be fleshly. And along with the flesh comes carnality. Yes. Comes with pleasuring the flesh and living in the flesh. So even during that thousand year, that millennial reign of Christ, they'll be evil produced because we can't blame Satan for the wickedness that we do of our own self that's generated because we're carnal. The devil doesn't make you do it. A lot of times it's self-generated. However, most of the world will understand the need to develop holy and righteous character and will be working on building it into their lives. That's why I say, they'll say, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And as they go up to the house of the Lord and learn of God, you'll see sin being put to death or the ravage of sin coming much more effectively because the Spirit will be purging the world of the evildoers. That's why it says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. In this millennial reign, when Christ's kingdom come, We'll be totally, we'll be learned to be totally dependent upon God and that we would be practicing his righteousness. And that's what churches are not doing today. They're not practicing his righteousness. We see from the words in Deuteronomy 5.29 where God laments this, that man's heart isn't like that. And he know he didn't give man a heart to believe. That's why he have to give man a new heart. He didn't give you a heart to believe. So God must on occasion experience the same disappointments in people as we do. He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. <clears throat> so God does realize is that what was in part in making man. I look back with uh, years ago, me and a former boss I had, uh, Jimmy Lewis, was telling me about God, God foreseeing sin mm. and all of these things and the sovereignty of God. All of this has to come about 
All of this has to come about so we can see or experience the ravages of sin and disobedience, which when you experience and see, it's better than somebody telling you of something you've heard about it. If you experience it for your own self, a lot of people say, uh, until this disaster hit my home, until we experienced this, we'd have never thought this possible. So it has to be real, and it's in this it's real in this world. But the realness in this world, we have to see that it's not the world God created. I, as I was telling you yesterday, <clears throat> sin is a negative. Sin got here through perversion. It's the knowledge of good and evil that had did this. Yeah. That's why God wants us in a spiritual mind mm-hmm. and to learn of his righteousness and it overpowers evil and wickedness, which will be removed. There'll be no more remembrance of sin. This negative will be removed. In other words, this is Satan's world. Satan is the God of this world. But when God remove all of that, creation, human, everything's going to be the kingdom of God. It won't be no killing in God's holy mountain because the whole world would be the mountain of the Lord. And so the lion can lay down with the lamb. The lamb can lay down with the lion. It won't be carnality in there. I was thinking about this impossible beef. You know, Burger King has that impossible Whopper, the meatless burgers. Just think eating hamburgers or eating food, and it wouldn't have cost the animal its life. I was wondering how would heaven be if we were to enjoy and banquet the way we do now, would we still be killing animals or not? God says do not kill, and so you won't be killing those animals, but it was all in the mind. It's all in the mind. The mind is what makes it real. That's why he says the thoughts of men was evil continually. So if by faith, if we're thinking about faith, in spirituality, but our thoughts are not carnal. We don't think about killing. We couldn't think about this wicked holiday that's coming up, Halloween, and people like to be frightened and scared and all of the scary things because none of these things could come into our mind because we'll be in practice to lock them out of our mind. We would lock them out of our minds because that knowledge wouldn't exist. That knowledge is what God tried to get Adam and Eve not to experience, the knowledge of good and evil. He only wanted them the, with the knowledge of good. And that's why he cast them out of the garden, he says, because he didn't want them to live forever in that state. So if you don't have a knowledge of adultery or fornication, they won't be committed. If you don't have a knowledge of covetousness, of jealousness and envy, they won't be committed. It's though it would be in the kingdom of God as though it never existed because God in actuality is making beings that want to be or want to do the will, want to do the right thing. That's the subjugation of practice and righteousness which is Proverbs 13 and 6 says <clears throat> it says righteousness I, I just want to start this 
Wednesday night because it's what you practice in life. The things that you practice. That's why we pray and we live this way is to learn to live this way forever. We try and incorporate God's way of living into our everyday life because that's the way we want to live. But if you want to live some other way, you remember I told you to live excluding God, not meditating on his word, not studying the things of God, not praying and talking to God. Well, then God's not going to foster that up on you because you would be miserable in the kingdom of God where they pray and worship God all of the time. You'd be miserable where you don't see adultery and fornication taking place. You would be miserable where you don't have these things because of the lust of the flesh. Are we understanding that? That sovereignty of God that allowed that to take place, those vessels and that stuff God punished, but he vanquished, but it was only learning tools to educate his children and his people that he had put through the world providentially. Providentially, he brought us through the world. And those that he providentially guides, and you're thankful that God saved you because you realize just how dangerous the world is. You realize just how bad a marriage you could have had. You realize just how bad of children you could have had. You realize and you're thanking God for what he's done in your life, and you thanking God for the food to eat because, you know, some children asking their parents for this and that day, the parents said, well, look, you be grateful and thankful for that. How about the children that starving in Somalia? How about the children that don't eat once or twice, but every two or three days? But if they had an experience that they go say, I don't know of children in Somalia. I don't know of these things. Well, then God lets them experience that. So now you could start being thankful what you do have. See, because until put in that situation, we're going to be just like they are in this nation, unthankful, ungrateful, a wasteful nation, destroying and hating parents. Because how many people were raised up wishing they had a mom and daddy? Mm, yes. yeah. But then, just because you don't have this type of mom and daddy, you want to kill your mama, you want to kill your daddy, you hated your parents or whatever. Instead of realizing... In the sovereignty of God, those are the parents that he gave you. It was a reason he gave you those parents. And you thank God for all things because that's going to work out for good for your betterment. As Joseph looked back to his brother said, Now you meant it for evil and wickedness. God meant it for good. But notice that righteousness was always in Joseph. When the brothers did evil, Joseph told the father of the wickedness and evil they did. That was Job's job. I don't know, he might not would have got caught if he went with Potiphar's wife. But he didn't say that. He says, how can I do this and sin against God? It would be in my memory, it would be in my mind that I sin against God. And God had been with him all of that time. He rescued him from the pit. He had brought him into all of these things. So we see the righteousness of God is it being formed in us? As he's pouring it out upon earth, he said he's pouring it out. So if it's poured out, it's up to us to get vessels, to get cups, 
And we are the vessels that that righteousness should be poured into. We know to do good. We know to do righteousness. Are we doing that? God says you know to do what's right. You know what's to good to do good. Are you doing that? Are you fighting to do that? Are you fighting with self to do the, what's right? So we're going to look at how that righteousness increases Wednesday as we practice righteousness. We will have a study on practicing righteousness. We know what we should be doing and we know that God has poured it out. Everybody has had that opportunity. It's just like the gospel. The gospel has been preached so all have had opportunities. People say, well, but what about who did hear? You stop trying to bring up situations where God needs to answer your questions or whatever, and you answer what God has already said, and that is everyone has heard. There's no one without excuse. That God is fair. We should be doing what God give us to do, and we'll be growing in righteousness. Heavenly Father.